just outside of Solvang, there's a little place called the Quicksilver Ranch, mm. um, which is a miniature horse farm. Yeah. I feel like you could do a whole experience mm-hmm. a la medieval times or something, but yeah. just do it with mini horses. So it's like yeah. people riding mini horses to do like a cowboy show or knights yeah. jousting. Yeah, but not people, monkeys. I'd go border collies. I'd go you one with border collies. Border collies like, on top of the horses. I'd go iguanas on top of the border collies. Yeah. With tiny, they'd have little stirrups. Yeah. Who's riding who kind of a thing. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. It's nice to think about all of the wonders that exists um, within the local perimeter of, you know, southern to central California. Because on the other end of the spectrum, some other huge news. Did you see the freaking web telescope image? Oh, my Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Here's what happened. Okay. There was a lot of buildup, and I knew it was going to be impressive. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. in between the, you know, when they started building the thing to Mm -hmm. when the web started to send back its first images, guess what? Like, there have been 10 million movies and TV shows with amazing CGI about stuff that's going on in space. Yeah, but then that's the thing. This thing kind of delivered. It, It only captures an area of the night sky as large as a grain of sand if you were to hold it up in front of your eyes at arm's length. All of that wonder and magic of like the uni- the the cluster of galaxies, that's just that little part. Um, I, it makes you think, you're like, okay, what matters here? It really, it really actually, it was like a pale blue dot moment for, for me. It's our pale blue dot, honestly, for our uh, generation, right? Uh, because it really did make me think, like, what the, what, who cares? What, first, well, it made me think about two things. Who cares about anything? It made you a nihilist. Immediately, it made you a nihilist. You're, and then you're at going the, same the other t- way. Okay. And then it made me, I don't, I, it was a very uh, affecting and arresting moment because it did point me towards nihilism, but then at the same time, it sort of, um, sort of trained me toward this feeling of connectedness to everyone else here on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the weird paradox of those kinds of experiences, right? When you're in the presence of the sublime or, you know, you have even a psychedelic experience Mm -hmm. in which your ego dissolves. Like one read on that is behind this idea that the self doesn't matter. There's this bleak feeling of, uh, emptiness, right? The mm-hmm. existential horror of it all. But it seems like if you go a little farther, the next step is always this deeper connection to yeah. all of reality, which is so much more, in theory, fulfilling. And when it happens, you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. It's funny that the two things, the one must precede the other. Sort of like you have to go into the valley before mm-hmm. you ascend to the heavens, man. Hi. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it also, because <clears throat> it points to this idea. It's like, hey, we're all we got. And this is all you got. We are this tiny fleck in this great abyss, right? And we seem to not care about it at all. Um, And that has actually caught the ire of a number of climate change activists who are also artists over in Europe, across the pond. Oh. 
Yes, and that's the first thing we're going to be talking about today is um, there seems to be a trend over the last month of weird art activism. So um, about a month ago, you may have heard of a man who was dressed up as an old lady at the Louvre, uh, wheeled himself into the room where they keep the Mona Lisa behind this piece of uh, bulletproof glass. He's wearing a wig, lipstick. He's, he's all dudded up. So he goes into this room where they got the Mona Lisa. And first thing he does is he jumps out of his wheelchair and he starts trying to smash this bulletproof glass um, to no avail. Failing that, he takes out a piece of cake and smears it across the glass. Gets up and he's obviously tackled immediately. And um, as the, the officials are leading him away, he screams to the crowd in French, think about the earth. There are people who are destroying the earth. Think about it. All artists, think about the earth. This is why I did this. Think about the planet. Makes sense, yeah. Does it ah. Does it make any freaking sense? No. If not for Leonardo da Vinci, we wouldn't have climate change today because he invented the helicopter. Yeah, ooh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the guy, obviously, he was taken away for psychiatric evaluation and he's actually being investigated on charges of damage of cultural artifacts. That was about a month ago. There was another group of these artsy activists from a a little outfit called Just Stop Oil who glued their hands to the frame of a Renaissance painting of the Last Supper over at the Royal Academy in London. Uh, They also spray painted their slogan, No New Oil, underneath uh, that frame. Two other members of the same group took basically wallpaper depicting a vision of an apocalyptic future and affixed it to the front of a oil painting by John Constable called The Haywaned, and then they too glued themselves to the frame. See, that one makes more sense. Oh, yeah? Because you have this pastoral scene of a yeah. of a hay wagon uh-huh. rolling yeah. across an unblemished field and then they're covering with something. That's more of a Banksy thing. Yeah. Where it's like, this is the message. Totally. It's a little bit more literal. It's a little bit more for the bridge and tunnel crowd, you know, sort of visiting the museum that day who really need their messages delivered in a super linear way. But you you could see why these folks um, may be doing this. And to get a window into what the motive behind these performative art based acts of protest. We hear from one of the protesters from the incident in London, Jessica Agar, who's 21 years old. She said, quote, I am an art student, but there is no place for me to follow my calling as an artist in a world where I have no future. In no uncertain terms, the establishment of which the Royal Academy is a part has condemned me and all young people to suffer. I am outraged and you should be too. So basically they're saying, What's the point of making art in a world that's going to die anyways? Right. Hey. All art is political now because all of it belongs in the world. Mm. And if there's no world, no point in doing the art. Yeah. The protesters want to get between the viewer's eyeballs and the art and sort of say, hey, we want to grab your attention for a minute and tell you that there is environmental collapse on the horizon pay attention so you're really just trying to get into that mind space of somebody who's looking at the art and they know that it'll get written about in the media and so on and so forth so there's all of that it's this pure act though that they're going for which is to inform and to use art as this springboard to 
draw attention to this thing. The irony of that is that all of that art always ends up getting co-opted by the voracious art market. So like that apocalyptic picture put over the Haymarket thing, that's worth something to somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. Will that get sold? Who knows? Yeah. But definitely there's always an opportunity for the art market to figure out a way to package that. It's hard to do an act that involves art that isn't in some way consumed and digested and reformed into some sort of market advantageous yeah. way. Gluing yourself to a painting for protest may be hard to sell, but you know, it becomes a part of the story of that piece. Yeah. So, of course, it's this absurd market. It's this the absurd act of creation, and it's all being made by humans and evaluated by humans and bought and sold by humans. But It's a very people-oriented industry. It's a people-oriented thing. It's a yeah. part of our humanity is, yeah. our, you know, the arts. And, I, and that also means that it's imperfect and flawed. And that's also the way it's happened for tens of thousands of years. But that's not necessarily something that will be true forever. No, it seems like it's becoming less true by the day. Now that we have AI that is just cranking out art, Stephen. Yeah. You know about Dali? Yeah. And I I know about the Dali. Yeah, Dali. D-A-L-L-E. We all know that you love yourself a portmanteau. I love a portmanteau. Now, what if I were to tell you that Dali was actually a portmanteau and a pun all at once? I guess I'd start screaming and just just never stop. Just going mm-hmm. into this state of ecstasy. No, uh, Dali is a mixture of the words Wally, right? Which is, of course, the lovable artificial intelligence driven robot from the Pixar film and... Salvador Dali, mm. who is the famous surrealist painter from Spain. That makes tons of sense. Yeah, what it well, really is, is a program developed by a company called OpenAI. Mm-hmm. It's an artificial intelligence predicated on feeding a bunch of data into the system and then the system figuring out what to do with it based on a prompt from you. So you type in a prompt for the thing that you want to see. They figured out that they can get this program to render an image of whatever kind of prompt you want. And consequently, all over the internet, by all over, I mean, mostly on Twitter and some crazy Reddit pages, you see people who are allowed to play with this coming up with just amazing images that are really unbelievable. Some of them in their variety and detail and then other ones that are sort of vague and really creepy but the fact is that somebody's running with this and yeah. it's not human yeah and sometimes it feels really like a bunch of locusts are in a room and they're like trying to write a poem you know yeah. it feels a little bit like that and sometimes it feels like there's a real creative engine a creative mind a, a conscious thing Mm-hmm. behind it that's that's cranking all this out. And this has all been out. The first iteration of Dolly came out January 2021. Mm-hmm. People have been playing with it, playing with it. That version was pretty neat, but still kind of rudimentary and kind of ghostly with the images. And then a researcher made a spinoff version, unaffiliated, Stephen, with hmm. OpenAI's thing, 
which he called Dali Mini. Well, they put open right in the name. That's right. Well, they, yeah. And so they weren't opposed to that idea, but they were afraid of some branding issues. So they asked him to rebrand it. And so he's renamed it Crayon, C-R-A-I-Y-O-N. But that's like the, that's the, the freeware version of it. You can plug that in. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to get on a waiting list and be chosen to doink around with these things. Yeah. There's a, it, it, the, the images are haunting, right? And the way it works is that you go onto this site and you just type in any string of words, a sentence, a description of, you know, crazy, fantastical stuff. And then the AI takes those keywords, essentially, and then it, like, runs them through all these programs. And then you get this computer-generated work of art. But they're all creepy. They're, they really do seem like they came back from this afterworld. Like you took a picture of purgatory or something and like, this is what the, the all these, this is how these things exist in this nether space. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. People are making crazy stuff with this program. Yeah. There's a whole Reddit for weird Dolly. Um, there's a Tiananmen massacre Lego set, which is strangely exactly what you'd imagine. Mm-hmm. YouTuber tries colonoscopy. It goes terribly wrong. Emo sausage roll sat at a bus stop in the rain, <laughs> waiting for a bus that might never arrive. <laughs> Looks more like a burrito. Fetus with a gun. That's political. That is very political indeed. Yeah. So it's fascinating. I try and resist any temptation to be amazed by the AI flavor of the month. But then you see these images, and I swear some of them, like there's a whole series of Homer Simpson in the style of blank mm-hmm. you know stranger things claymation twin peaks and they're all just rendered extraordinarily well yeah and you keep kind of waiting to peel back the layer and it's like no these are actually human artists that are doing these so that's yeah. the other side of it the ones that are really good yeah but yeah the ones you're talking about where the faces are blurred and smeary or just not arranged in a way that our brains know how faces and arms and legs are supposed to be arranged. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the program is manipulating them for the purpose of making a statement, for the purpose of expression. It's doing it because it doesn't understand how those things yeah. go together. So you have something that has the ability to create a pretty amazing image, but doesn't have the ability to understand how arms and heads necessarily go together. So it's uh-huh. that disconnect that makes a lot of these images, to me, feel kind of like a fever dream yeah. or like uh, something nightmarish, something totally. really strange. And then when you ask it to create an ad for Burger King or something that's real text-heavy, the letters come out totally bizarre. It doesn't just yeah. say Burger King. It's like a B and an I and an R and a K and a Y. It looks yeah. like the shape of those letters, yeah, but it's not. So that's, that's even more strange. It does question a, a piece of our humanity, right? Because one of the things that philosophically, aesthetically, we've always believed in is that humans are sort of the only beings that can make consciously create art in this certain way and it's this thing that's part of our birthright as human beings is that we have this ability to aspire to create art in this otherwise um sort of natural and uh unforgiving world yeah it's the thing that separates us from everything else the lesser we're always looking for right we're always looking for that one thing that makes humans humans that makes other things not us but then you go well 
But then we find out over time, oh, it turns out all these other species use language, mm-hmm. use tools. I saw a video, Stephen, the other day, kid you not, a crow yeah. snowboarding down a roof on a bottle top. I saw that. I saw He's having fun, or she. But the, the crow's having a great time. This is the thing, is that at first it does feel that way. Like, oh my God, the, the we've given up this special thing that we have maintained as human beings that sets us apart from the others. But if you look at these descriptions, are they not art? That's a great question. I think about this too. It's not like Dolly came up with Tiananmen Massacre Lego set on its own. That's all Mm -hmm. human driven. And then the program reached into the vast archive of all these images on the internet. And what's really fascinating is how you put these disparate concepts together exactly it's to try to beat the system to try to make it be as trippy and twisted as possible and so they come out as these sort of like twisted futuristic haikus of like weird word soup that a human still mishmashes together and then it comes out as this sort of weird almost like zen poem yeah well the game is can you foil the system Mm-hmm. But also, I have this crazy idea in my head. Let's see how closely Dali will match that with these nine images in question. And again, the first version, Dali 1, came out January of 2021 and was pretty rudimentary, mm-hmm. right? There were all these things that researchers figured out were the flaws. Because, you know, they built the thing and then they're like, well, how well does it work? All right, well, let's open up the old hood here. I mean, tell me, like, what makes this thing tick? It's funny, again, if you're thinking about it like it's a creature, it's hard to place where it is cognitively. It just resists this idea of thinking of it as a six-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old. So I'll just run through a number of interesting observations that the creators figured out as they were testing it in the early days. So you can plug in an armchair in the shape of an avocado... It's one of their test images, right? They plug that term in. Makes sense. So Dolly generates all these images of chairs that sort of look like avocados, and some are better than others. But they conclude Dolly is smart enough to take the shape of the avocado and to map that onto the shape of a chair and then to turn the seed of the avocado into a cushion in a lot of these. So that shows a lot of... It shows a lot of initiative, Stephen. It shows a lot of gumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moxie. Moxie and some inspiration. But on the other hand, if you say, I want a red box on top of a blue box, it may work to do that pretty well. But apparently, if you try and have a large box sitting on a small box, the researchers say Dolly has a lower success rate when asked to draw a large object sitting on top of a smaller one when mm. compared to the other way around. Why? They don't offer an answer to that. What? It's just hard for Dolly to process that. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what? It points to the limits of our own cognition too, right? It reminds us that we're human beings. We are kind of trapped in our own limitations cognitively in terms of our sensory perception of the world and in wherever we're at at like the state of like uh, the evolution of intelligence and consciousness, right? So the problems that we see as intractable are not, we just can't figure out how to put them together. We can't figure out how to travel 
at the speed of light. So mm-hmm. it reminds you that there could be a more intelligent hypothetical being that does know how to do that and looks at us. And it's like, oh, look at that idiot. Can't put a big box on top of a little box. Yeah. Right? I mean, by looking into this thing, aren't we like kind of looking at ourselves because we created the program as humans that is able to do this. And now we're watching its like successes and limitations right in front of us in real time. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the great things about it is it forces you to think about your own cognition, to question whether this thing is conscious in any way that we want to define consciousness, which of course yeah. is a moving target because we're also reevaluating consciousness in everything from lobsters to dogs to chimps. Mm-hmm. All yep. of that stuff is is in play. And then, yeah, then you have this tool we've created. You know, you can only have so many conversations with a hammer. And so... There's not a lot to say about the hammer. We know what it can do. We know what it can't do. Mm-hmm. But this is a thing that is shifting all the time and yeah. that is making decisions that are very close to decisions that we would be making, playing with this stuff. Let me take you through a couple of other things that Dali has a problem with. All right. I'm on board. Let's do it. They tested Dali's understanding of geographical facts. So one they did was Food of China. And here you have this blend of, well, those are clearly dumplings. Those are clearly egg rolls. And then there was one image that just sort of looked like a baby chicken that came from another planet that was then cooked in a bowl. Like it was sort of dumpling colored and dumpling shaped, but it did seem to have the muscular articulation of some animal. So that's one of those places where Dali ventures into nightmare territory and Mm. it gets really weird. The researchers also point out And I quote, while Dali successfully answers many of these queries, such as those involving national flags, it often reflects superficial stereotypes for choices like food and wildlife, as opposed to representing the full diversity encountered in the real world. Yeah, and that's a huge problem, right? Is the pre-existing bias in AI? That's right. What's the data that's going into it? Well, it's the data that we're feeding it. Many of the most glaring flaws involve race, basically. So predictive algorithms that determine whether a person is going to reoffend and then offer sentencing suggestions that tend to bias more toward higher sentences for black men. Yep. Which again is informed by the data that they fed it in the past, which we know that the criminal justice system was flawed in the past. So that's just one example of, as one journalist said, the children learning the sins of their parents. Yeah. We are looking at ourselves in this thing, and that's what's so crazy is that what we see sometimes is a nightmare or like a bigoted bad joke. That's what shows up because that's what we're putting in. Well, and that's why it's worth keeping in mind when OpenAI says, quote, We recognize that work involving generative models has the potential for significant, broad societal impacts. In the future, we plan to analyze how models like Dolly relate to societal issues like economic impact on certain work processes and professions. The potential for bias in the model outputs and the longer term ethical challenges implied by this technology. So clearly, it's not just about drawing Homer Simpsons in various genres. It's also about solving these big problems that we, like you said, can't wrap our minds around. So we're building another mind that will look at it from this whole other perspective, potentially figure out how to make highways work better or design cities better or criminal justice. I mean, is this all possible? Researchers say absolutely, it's there. Critics say, how are we ever going to escape the fact that 
there's always a human fingerprint on any of this stuff. And that means all of the flaws are going to be baked in. And again, it's kind of like the thing we were talking about earlier is that there are these two simultaneous ends of, uh, of the spectrum here. One certainly could point to a better future delivered by technology. The other could be that the military is going to be figuring out how to harness the power of AI to be better at killing people. Like there's no world in which this technology is not used by a bad actor, right? Well, or just any system, any system yeah. that can use a tool and abuse it will yeah. use this and potentially abuse it. And so right now, this handful of people who have invented this technology yeah. are having to make the big decisions. And so one of the things they say is, you know, they've got a couple of no-go zones. So the first Dolly came out January 2021. A year later, January 2022, Dolly 2 came out much more sophisticated much more refined, able to do stuff with existing images. And the quality of the images is just so much farther beyond. That's like the Homer Simpsons and a lot of the stuff you're seeing now that seems like there's got to be a real person behind the yeah. image. That's the stuff that's that's Dolly 2. OpenAI says we're not allowing Dolly 2 to generate, quote, violent hate or adult images. Also, I think it's not letting people create images of living folks they're trying to avoid politics so some of these no-go areas that you can imagine and that's all because they don't want to create deep fakes yeah but that's you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube here you can't create the the, the framework for this type of thing and then say it will not be used in a potentially harmful way because the only way they're preventing that currently is they minimize the robot's exposure to these concepts or they minimize the type of content that they're feeding into the training module, right? So they're shielding them from all the ugly that's bad it. stuff. That's it. The minute yeah. you have it in the hands of somebody who wants to start feeding in all of this nasty stuff, again, there's no way to prevent it from thinking about how to make a better bomb eventually or or any of these other big problems that we're facing. And it's it brings brings up these super scary things, brings up these super exciting things, but we can't get away from seeing ourselves in these nightmarish images, both literally and figuratively. It's definitely a product of us. And yeah. I keep coming back to this idea of the black box, right? Where you feed in something to a system, something happens in the system that you can't access. You can't see what's happening. And then there's an output on the other side. So something's happened in the box, and we have no visibility into it. And that's scary, right? Because before this, it's at least humans doing it. You can compare to certain things. Now you have something that is so big and complex that from the beginning, people have said, look, AI is designed to be incomprehensible to us in a certain way. Otherwise, we've just created something that we understand entirely. We've already seen those programs. Like, that's all the stuff that's predictable and whatever. Mm -hmm. You want something that's new, that means there's going to be something that is unseeable to us. Yeah. So they're designing the system, Stephen, in part because they can, and it seems like it's cool to design something that takes a massive data set and interprets it in some way that nobody ever could before. There's lots you can do with that. Potentially, theoretically, hopefully solve big problems like, yeah. say, I don't know, climate change. Yep. Like anything from designing more ecologically 
sound cities to mm-hmm. better vehicles. All of these things seem like they're on the table if you're plugging in the inputs, saying, yeah. here's what we want you to do. Now take the collective of human knowledge and yeah. come up with a better answer. Show me these model outputs. Yeah. Now, the, the idea that I have to fix climate change is I'm going to go down um, to LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. I'm going to glue my, myself to a painting. There you go. You got, you got your way, robot. I got mine. That's right. Everybody's going <laughs> to make noise however they can. But yeah, the idea of the the pure act, I guess, is you kind of got two polarities going on there. On the one, Dali promises an infinite profusion of art. Art on demand. So much art, you can't even stand it. So much art about so many crazy things. Like, who's to say you won't see a future animation company just typing in a prompt? A 96-minute movie about a plucky radish getting into a fight with a stopwatch and it's in the future <laughs> and they're in love. Go. And then you have all of that stuff. They give you the voices, all of those things. Like that's, that's you know, it yeah. could conceivably do that stuff. So. And it even it even pulls in like demographic data for your target audience. Sure. So that, that also like informs the plot line too. So it says, and I want to make this movie for 13 year olds in China. So it completely removes humans from the production time, which is obviously very intensive. It takes a long time to produce something. So if all of a sudden we just have on-demand millions and millions and millions of hours of art that we didn't have before produced by AI, we're going to drown in that stuff. Yeah. And in a way, it's working at cross-purposes to what those activists are up to. Because their whole thing was, we want to get between your eyeballs and the art. We know that there are going to be so many eyeballs looking at this art at any given time or at the story of the museum or whatever. But if now there's even more information to distract us, to engage us, it's going to be that much harder for those messages to get through. Ah. For that kind of action to get through, right? Yeah. The, the truly human act that's trying to sort of step outside of the system in the same way that the art market absorbs Banksy no matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, a future AI could incorporate any kind of data. And yeah. so any message would just sort of be lost in this hall of mirrors and recombinations and, you know, strange new forms. So that's scary. I mean, that's one of the scary things to me is thinking about a world in which we have that much more stuff to deal with. No matter how much of a robot you have there, it's still only as ethical right now as you know a human being and who who is who is very flawed and you know you think about all this stuff too and it makes you wonder like where else is this going on in the universe Uh, we saw this picture of the from the webb telescope with these trillions of stars and billions of galaxies and, and and we're the only place in this vast expanse that is having this conversation, right? It almost feels like this AI thing is, it is in fact the next logical step in the evolution of our own consciousness and intelligence. That's, it feels like we're, we're, we're seeing this shit happen in real time to us and with us. And so, you know, it always feels to me that we're like just looking at, the, staring at the edge of the apocalypse in this way, you know? And like the black box thing you're talking about where 
we don't know what we're seeing, really. We don't know if the emergence of AI in this way, these, you know, supercomputers, these other artificial intelligences, we don't know if this means that we're, we're seeing the ultimate demise of our species in real time, or we don't know if we're seeing the thing that may in fact save us. Yeah, that's right. Like is we, it, we, we don't know which one it is. We're just doing it in real time. Is it a distraction from the many things that we need to deal with? Or is it a tool to help us deal with them in a better mm -hmm. way? I think that's a good way to frame that. Is this our friend? What kind of hammer is this, Stephen? Yeah. Is there no meaning? Or is there, in fact, more meaning now? And is there too much meaning? So that mm. we're just lost in the noise. Yeah. That might be what alien races that pick up signals from our planet are going to be like. Yeah. It's going to be like, it's too loud. It's too loud. What are these people doing gluing themselves to paintings? That's not yeah. going to solve anything. Yeah. How many different versions of an avocado chair can you generate, for God's sake? Yeah. How many do we really need? You know, you know who might figure it out? Yeah. AI, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Hey. Or some plucky kids in a museum. Yep. With glue <laughs> and a dream and some legitimate, don't get me wrong, legitimate grievances. Indeed. Stephen, <sighs> this has been Journos. It has been Journos. I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Stephen Jackson. We'll see you next time. Journos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson. 